0: And so Brian, reminded us of that. Go back and watch that if you've not uh, heard that, if you couldn't be here last week at all. Let me tell you a little bit about my schedule. Uh, I'm going to be off the next two weeks, you can see on your schedule there, and that's a little bit by design. Uh, Next week, next Sunday afternoon, there are about 22 of us uh, from Grand Point Church who are leaving to go to Finley, Ohio, to our triennial conference for the denomination. I'm so excited about that. Our worship team is going, uh, our communications director is going to host, Crystal Stein will be our host at that conference, Pastor Chad is going to be telling the Grand Point story great representation at our denomination. And it will be during that time that I complete my term as president. And I say that with a little bit of a smile on my face. But at the same time, realizing that I will miss that privilege of leadership, but all of that is to say we're going to be away next week. I had a lot of preparation this week, both with, you know, local and global kind of things to prepare for that. So next Sunday, Pastor Alan Mathna is going to be here and he's going to be talking about answering the question, will I know my loved ones in heaven? Right, So maybe you've been asking that question, but I'll tell you, as he addresses the issue of heaven, he's going to answer a whole lot more questions about heaven than just that one. And I will also advise you to maybe wear a pair of happy shoes. Wear some happy shoes because we are going to do some good old foot-stomping gospel music about heaven right? Next Sunday in this service, so get ready for it. And uh, we're just going to celebrate again the goodness of God for providing that place for us. Other services clapped when I said that. You guys aren't quite as excited, I can tell, but that's okay. We're still going to do it. And uh, so we're going to do that. And then the following week, Pastor Dan is going to be speaking and answering the question, where do dinosaurs fit into the timeline of the Bible? Can I just remind you, you ask for it, right? You asked for it. I didn't come up with this series. This is yours. Uh, Dan's going to do that. The orchestra's already working on this version of a Jurassic Park theme song, I think, for it. Wear your favorite dino shirt, you know, whatever it is, but let's just have some fun with that as we uh, celebrate that together. So that's, up, that's the next couple of weeks. And I'm going to tell you something about something else before we just uh, have our, have our special uh, moment here this morning with our students, but uh, over the past three years, Pastor Mike from Greencastle, Pastor Kevin from Shippensburg, and myself, we've had this deepening burden for marriages within our church and the community. Uh, so much so that we've, we've decided we're going to do this marriage ministry uh, under the leadership of Doug and the discipleship ministry. It's going to happen here, and we are hoping, we are hoping to develop a team of 20 couples Yes, it is that big, that important. We'd love to develop a team of 20 couples that are going to be leading out this marriage ministry. Uh, What we're going to do is start a pilot group to train the leaders, and that pilot group begins on Thursday, August the 25th, right here in the sanctuary. I share this with you today to to let you know that we're still looking for about 10 couples uh, to be a part of this. If you have a great marriage, you believe that you have something to offer others, Uh, working through this journey of marriage, please stop by the Hub today and just say, hey, give me some information about this marriage ministry. Uh, We'd love to be a part of it. And either Doug or I will be in touch with you uh, to let you know what that that looks like. And uh, we encourage you just to be a part of that, that great ministry as well. One final thing here this morning before we get into our message. I am so excited about our student ministry here at Grand Point Church and coming up this summer, in the month of July, all of our students, middle and high school students, are going on mission. They're heading out on mission. I believe it's the July the 23rd uh, through the... The 26th through the 28th, the middle school students are going to be doing local missions, uh, meeting here and then going out to places like Network Ministry, Shoebox, she's somebody's daughter, Grace House, and they're going to be serving in the local community. And I mean, we just want to pray for them and commission them for that as well. And then July 23rd through the 29th, our high school students. All the way in the back here, guys, come on up here. They're going to be heading out to Nashville, Tennessee for missions. Come on up here on stage. We'd like to acknowledge that. Leaders that are going, please come up as well. We'd love to pray for you and commission you on this this morning. Uh, Just go center stage. Uh, Give them a hand. Give them a hand as they come up here. These are the students that, some of them, some of the students, others are at Greencastle this morning. Some are at Shippensburg. We're presenting all of them. There are some brochures that look just like this that have every one of the students in there. And if you're wondering, wow, who's that? Who's that? Their numbers correspond with names, right? And so you can take this, make this your prayer guide. You can pray for them individually. The leaders' names are mentioned on here as well. But they're heading out to Nashville and uh, we just want to pray over you guys. Thank you. Thank you so much for doing this and uh, representing Grand Point Church in Nashville, Tennessee. I'm not exactly sure what you guys are going to be doing. Do you know what you're going to be doing yet? You don't know? Shaking heads, so that's a big surprise coming at you as well, but You'll know this afternoon, but this is part of the team that's heading out, and we, as the Grand Point Sending Church, just want to commission them and send them with our prayers. So, if you would join me, stand together. Let's just maybe you want to extend a hand out over this team, but let's just pray for them as uh, they head out. God, thank you so much for this, this team of students and leaders who are heading out on mission uh, in, just, in just a couple of weeks. God, we pray for every single one of them and ask that you would, uh, just do something in their lives, uh, as they go to serve, but even as they're being served, uh, by, by others and, and each other. God, I'm so excited about this, about our students that are, that are working, uh, in not only in Nashville, but even in our local communities, uh, in service projects and missions. And I just pray that this will be a life-changing week for all of them. God is a congregation now. We just uh, send them out with our love. We send them out with our support. We send them out with our promise to pray for them and pray over them as uh, they take this trip and as they step out into this great adventure uh, with our God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, guys. You may be seated. Sunday morning, Um, quite a few years ago now, I was at uh, my first church in Lancaster, Southern Lancaster County, uh, Providence Church, and I had just finished preaching the message uh, there. I was a fairly new pastor. That was my first pastorate, and uh, I was just kind of getting used to uh, the ministry there. But I was uh, greeting people after the service. Have you ever been to one of those churches where the pastor just stands at the back and greets everyone, and everyone says, nice, nice message, right? And uh, we were doing that there. And uh, the last person, the very last person that I met on that Sunday was Jack. Jack was a very prominent member of the community. He was a very prominent member of the church. He and his wife had been at the church forever. All of their kids attended Providence Church. All of their grandkids attended Providence Church uh, Jack was on the board. I served with him in leadership on the church board. Jack was a, the president of the cemetery association that the church had. And Jack was also the church organist. He's playing, He played organ for 32-plus years at Providence, and he had just played that morning. In fact, my wife, Penny, was accompanying him on the piano. So the two were playing together. Those were the instruments that, that we used at that church. And so I was talking to Jack at the very end of the service. Everyone else had pretty much left, and we were talking about the message. I thanked Jack for, you know, playing the organ that day, and then we set our part in words and left. That was Sunday. On Monday morning at eight o'clock, I received a phone call uh, letting me know that Jack was dead. Jack died by suicide earlier that morning. As a new pastor, I knew what I had to do. I knew I had to go to the house. So I went to the house and I saw Jack's dead body in the barn where he chose to end his life. Then I went to the house where the family was waiting. They were there and, you know, there wasn't a lot said because what do you say at a moment like that? So we hugged and we cried together. But then the questions started coming. Questions like, why did he do this? How could he do this? What are we going to do now? And then came the ultimate question. Did Jack go to heaven? Now, I know almost everyone in this room today has had a brush with suicide as well. Maybe it was a parent. Maybe it was a spouse. Maybe it was one of your kids, family member, someone that was very close to you, chose death by suicide. And no doubt you have had or maybe still have the very same questions, especially the last one. When you attempt to find answers to that last question, you're going to find answers at the opposite ends of the spectrum, right? Those who you know, firmly believe this and those who firmly believe that, all of these different answers about suicide. And does a person who commits suicide still go to heaven? We lived in an Amish community. Yes, Penny used to wear that big bonnet, and she would make homemade soft pretzels for supper, right? I actually... We were not Amish. Sorry, Patty. We were not Amish, but we lived in an Amish community. And uh, so the next day I was out in the in the neighborhood, and uh, I met with Aaron, Aaron Fisher. Came across the street. He saw me out there, and he says, well, I guess Jack went to hell, because that's what happens when you take your own life. It's what the Amish community believes. In fact, it's the Amish, and I believe some other groups, who if someone within their own group, within their church dies by suicide they will not even bury them in the cemetery they bury them outside the fence of the cemetery that's kind of how they remove these people you know from from their beliefs some of you who grew up in the Roman Catholic Church maybe have been taught the very same thing. Uh, the Catholic Church used to teach, at least, they used to teach that suicide was a mortal sin, uh, irretrievable, right? And, and kind of had that irretrievable uh, consequence of going to hell. I do believe the Roman Catholic Church has kind of revamped or reworked their positions on that at some point, but some of you maybe have grown up believing that. These positions actually uh, came about from Uh, Augustine and Aquinas, uh, pre-reformation leaders, it was a dominant theme that was held out through, throughout all the, the Reformation. And, uh, in the, toward the end of the Reformation, there were some Reformation leaders or thinkers and other theologians who began to rethink this whole idea about suicide and the consequences of it as it related to forgiveness, as it related to perhaps salvation as they began to understand it. And they began to distance themselves from the, uh, from the position of the, the Church of Rome. And today, there are three basic positions that Christians hold or that society looks at as it relates to Christians and suicide. Three basic positions. Number one is this. There's this thought out there that a true Christian would never, never choose suicide as their means of death. Well, that implies then that there's some people out there who are not true Christians. They say they're Christians, they look like Christians, maybe they act like Christians, maybe they're great church members or whatever, but truly down deep within their hearts, they're not Christians believing in God for for their life. So that's one position. A true believer would never, never choose suicide. Another belief that's out there right now is that, yes, a Christian may choose suicide, but in the process, they forfeit their salvation. They will lose their salvation. There's another thought, another belief that, yes, a Christian can choose suicide and still not lose their salvation. They can still go to heaven. Now, my purpose this morning is not necessarily to talk about all of these individuals or or these specific views, but I want to talk about them collectively within the context of Scripture and what Scripture says about forgiveness and about salvation. So I want to talk a little bit about this. And I hope today that this message brings you more hope uh, than it does discouragement. I know that there's people all over this room where this message today brings up these very painful memories of those uh, family members who chose this uh, method of, of death in the past. And uh, I've been reminded over the last two services that there is a lot of pain, a lot of pain here at Grand Point Church regarding this issue. So I know that there's people in this room today, that, and I want to treat this very sensitive today, and I want to address these these positions, especially answering that question today about one's eternal salvation, but even more so, as important as that is, I want to reflect on what we can possibly do as a church and as individuals to help those who are contemplating the decision of suicide. You probably know this, but suicide is currently on the rise in the United States, uh, having increased 30% in the last 17 years. While some of the statistics related to suicide have to do with mental illness, others have no such diagnosis, and they're attributed primarily uh, to relational, financial, or perhaps circumstantial escape rooms that people find no other way out of other than just to take their lives. There are over 5,000 suicides among teenagers each year. Some 10,000 college students will attempt suicide in a year. It's the second highest cause of death between the ages of 15 and 24, second to accidents. That's twice as many, or 13 young adults each day consider life not worth living. That is twice as many as it was 10 years ago. It's three times as many as it was 20 years ago. And there is another report out there that indicates that as many as 12% of all school-age children will contemplate suicide at least once in their formative years. And I would say that if we as adults and as a nation and as a government do not stop messing around with our children's identities, those rates will increase. These statistics should give us pause especially as we consider our approach to ministry in the church. The subject of suicide is not something that we should sweep under the carpet. It's not something that we should be silent about. And In fact, since life is our mission, the church ought to lead the conversation and the remedies instead of leaving it to the experts outside the church to, trend this, uh, to, to, to repair this, this trail of broken hearts. The church must recapture its ministry in this very important area uh, by addressing the issues that the Bible has to say about it and also presenting the tools to individuals who have suffered uh, through this experience. Now, you might find this interesting to know that the Bible never mentions the word suicide, but it does have at least seven different examples of those who have committed suicide uh, in the Scripture. So this is nothing new. If you go all the way back to Judges chapter 9, there's this son of Gideon named Abimelech uh, who died by suicide. Man, he was a wicked ruler. In fact, when you read his story, he killed 70 of his brothers. Every time I read that, I'm like, how does he do that? How does he kill 70 people without someone like intervening or stopping? But he was was a bad dude. He killed 70 of his brothers and Israel began to revolt against this decision that he made. And so one day Abimelech is sitting at the bottom of this tower and there's this woman up in the tower and somehow up in that tower, she has access to this millstone, right? She looks down, she sees Abimelech down there and she's like, all right, I've got it. She drops the stone down and hits it messes him up pretty bad so much so that he knows he's going to die. And so he calls his armor bearer over and says, listen, I want you to run your sword right through my heart because I don't want it to be said that a woman killed me. <laughs> a little bit of pride there. I think she already had him, to be honest with you. But, but that's, how he chose, that's how he chose to die. Now, in Judges chapter 16, we remember the story of Samson, a powerful Samson who fell in love with Delilah, and he eventually allowed her and the Philistines to know that God granted him his great strength through his hair, right? So Delilah gave him a haircut, and then she called the Philistines, and they captured him. They gouged his eyes out, and then they tied him or bound him to these big pillars at the entrance of the temple. And then the Philistines go into the temple, and they have a worship service there to their god, Dagon. And as they're doing that, God gives Samson this extra boost of strength, and he pushes these columns out. The temple falls and kills all the Philistines and kills Samson himself. Now, some might say, well, that's not suicide. That's more like a military strategy because God gave him the strength to do this, and it was justice or whatever. But nevertheless, Samson did this and took his own life. In 1 Samuel chapter 31, Samuel and his men were also fighting the Philistines, and when the effort grew pretty fierce, the archers wounded Saul critically, and Saul asked his armor bearer to take out his sword, and he says, thrust it through my body right now so that I might die. The armor bearer's like, I can't do this. I will not do this to my king. So Saul took out his own sword, fell on it, and died. And when his armor bearer saw what had happened, uh, he was in this... He came to the state of hopelessness, and he too fell on his sword and died. Well, then there's also the stories of Ahithophel and Zimri. and 2 Samuel 17, verse 23, Ahithophel realized that his advice—he was a very respected commander, a prophet— And, and he gave this advice. And when he realized the advice was not taken, it says he saddled his donkey, uh, put on his, or went to his hometown, put his house in order, and then went out and hanged himself. First Kings 16, Zimri murdered the king of Israel, Elah, and he took his place. And when the rest of Israel heard what had happened, they pursued him. Zimri goes into the king's palace, set the palace on fire and remained inside and died in that fire. Suicide, but probably the most memorable of all the suicide accounts in the Bible is the story of Judas, the disciple of Jesus who sold him out to the Roman authorities for his arrest. And it says in Matthew chapter 27, that when Judas saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse and he went out and he hung himself. And so as we look at these examples from Scripture, we get a glimpse into the through this window perhaps of what happens in a person's mind or what their thinking process are, what their expressions are experienced by a person who is contemplating suicide. There are feelings of hopelessness, feelings of despair, feelings of utter disappointment, pride, anger, and frustration, and sometimes even retaliation. All these things can be present. I've heard it said by a family member of someone who just commits suicide that that was the most selfish thing that that person could have done. Perhaps you've heard it that way, but I'm not sure that it's selfishness as much as it is hopelessness. There's just this utter hopelessness and people see no other way out of this other than to just maybe take their own lives. And I know that there's times when suicide is a result of mental illness Perhaps it's the result or the, of the, or the incapacity of rational thought. Some people go through these difficult bipolar disorders. People suffer from severe depression. People work through the, the addictions or the disease of addictions. And all of these are dangerously susceptible to suicide, especially if they're not treated by medical treatment or counseling. And so there's this wide range of thoughts and feelings and actions that are present in suicide, which leads us to our question, is suicide forgivable? Now, it's important to point out, of course, at the very beginning, this is a very slanted question, because there will be people over here on this side who will say it is not a forgivable sin, because when that person chooses to to, to die by suicide right they're choosing to take their own life and they're committing this heinous sin and they are unable to ask forgiveness therefore they die in a state of unforgiveness and they will go to hell now let me just kind of address that by asking anyone in this room has is everyone here without sin anybody here don't sin anymore you don't have to raise your hand Because I don't want to put you in that spot. But see, most of us still have this sinful nature. And there are these moments perhaps when we have these thoughtful sins and there's this jealousy or there's this pride or there's this lust issue. Well, what if you would die before one of those sins are forgiven? Do you still go to hell? I want you to just kind of follow through that argument. So that's one part of the question that is slanted. And then there's the other side of this that would look at that answer as perhaps incomplete or maybe even unbiblical compared to what the Bible has to say about forgiveness and salvation. So what I would like to do today is I want to go to a few scriptures, and I want to just work through these scriptures today and allow the Word of God to kind of inform our minds and our thoughts on this a particular subject. And I have uh, given you a handout. I have three things that I want you to take away this morning. Number one is this. I want you to understand today that the scope of forgiveness includes all of our sins, including the ones that we commit even after becoming Christians. If Jesus only died for our past and original sins, then he died for no purpose, because it would still be up to us in our own efforts then to be saved if we're going into the future and it would not be Christ alone. But we know that it's only Christ and Christ alone we have received salvation. Let me take you to Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14, where the writer says, And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Hebrews chapter 9, I love this passage. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 24, for Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are only copies of the true things, but he entered into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. You've got to love that. Jesus ascended into heavens where he is working for you, working on your behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest who enters the holy places on earth every year with, with blood not his own, for then he, Christ, would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. sacrificed once for all of our sins. Past, present, Future. One more scripture, 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. This is be- begins with a condition, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from what? All sin, all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us, First John 1, 9, but if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, to forgive our sins, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, I know that last verse sounds like forgiveness is conditional to confession. It says, if we confess, he is faithful and just to forgive. But what about if we don't confess? Now, that is true. If we confess, he is faithful and just But salvation, listen to me, salvation is not earned by confession of every incidental sin as it is committed, but salvation is earned by confessing your sin nature and accepting the gift of God's forgiveness that erases the penalty for your sin nature. Now, there is nothing wrong. In fact, it is something that we ought to do where we confess individual sins that we commit but I believe what First John, John 1, 9 says this. Listen, you and I need to come to that place in our lives where we understand that we are sinners by nature and there is nothing that we can do to erase that sin debt other than to receive Jesus Christ as our personal Savior except his gift of salvation that erases that sin debt in our lives, period. Right. That's exactly why Jesus came. So when we confess our sins, yes, it can be those individual sins, but ultimately it's confessing the fact that we have a sin nature that we can't fix, and we need God to fix it. God forgave all our transgressions by nailing them to the cross, which Jesus bore in his body. His sacrifice put away sin once for all, and his blood cleanses us from all sin and all unrighteousness. If we believe that suicide is unforgivable, I believe it represents a misunderstanding of God's amazing grace. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9 says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. At our 815 service this morning, we sang that hymn, grace that is greater than all our sin. Beautiful expression, again, of God's amazing grace and how it covers it all. Now, I would say this morning that suicide is not a sin that we ought to heighten to a status that even God cannot forgive it, because God is the forgiver of all sins, according to the scripture. It is not something, obviously, that is ever God's will. It is something that's always a tragedy, but it is not the unpardonable sin. Number two takeaway this morning is this, the means of death does not determine a person's destiny. The means of death does not determine a person's destiny. According to scripture, suicide is not what determines whether a person goes to heaven. Think about, think about it this way. If an unsafe person commits suicide, he or she hasn't done anything to accelerate their journey to hell. The unsaved person who commits suicide will not be, will be in hell, not for the act itself, but for the act of rejecting salvation that was offered to them for their sins. The reality is we don't know what happens in a person's last moments of life. We don't know whether they cry out to God for some form of mercy, if they plead for His grace, if they accept His salvation. We don't know. In fact, that really is not a judgment for us to make. Yes, we can make a judgment that suicide is the wrong way to deal with one's problems, but we always need to leave the eternal judgment up to God. God knows the deepest thoughts. God knows the deepest hearts. God knows the minds of individuals who choose to take their own lives. And God, in his amazing grace, will always do right. A Christian choosing death by suicide is evidence that anyone can struggle uh, with despair. And while it is not the unforgivable sin, it is still a a very serious sin against God, the giver of life, the one who died so that you and I might have life and have an abundance the one who wants eternal life, uh, wants to have eternal life with us. He's the giver of life. We remember the commandments. He even said, you shall not murder, and suicide is murder in oneself. So as Christians, it's important to remember that we are called to live our lives for God. And the decision to die when we die is God's alone. But I want you to understand this. It is not the means of death that determines your destiny. It is what you do with the offer of salvation that Jesus Christ gives to us while we're living. Have you accepted that gift of salvation? Because if you haven't, it doesn't matter what means you die by, you're still not going to heaven, right? But if you have received that gift of salvation and you have secured that within your heart and mind, it doesn't matter what the means of death is, you have the promise of eternity with our Lord. Number three. Death by suicide violates God's plan for your life, and it robs the world of your influence. I've actually had someone say to me already, and I've heard this several times in my life as I'm talking with people, they have said, I just think the world would be a better place without me. That is not true. The world is a better place because of you. Always, always, always. A little bit of an assignment that I'll give you as it relates to this. I want you to read Psalm 139. It's the scripture that the worship team opened with today. Wasn't that amazing? It is. It it simply means that you are of extreme value to God. You are of extreme value to us. You have been put here on this earth to have an influence that no one else can have. We need you here. We need you here. Don't ever buy into the lie that your life would be better, uh, that, that it would, be, that this, this world would be better if you're not here, because that simply is not true. God knows the heart of every individual, and he knows what goes, goes through our minds and what goes through our hearts with this. And what I'd like to do is kind of wrap this up this morning by giving us some kind of a response uh, to this. I want to give you a response because this is something that is so real. Uh, even within our own church, within our own community. Just this week, just this week, had a conversation with one of our own members. And this member told me, she said, I am one bad day away from making my children motherless. She told me the details of what she's planning to do. She's already researched how to tie a noose. She's been online trying to figure this out. She took her lunch break last week and bought a, went to buy a gun. There's that depth of despair. There's that desperation that's right here within our own family. When you see her here, you would never know it. When you see her in the community, you would never know it. This woman could be the life of the party. But the real person, the real person inside of her is at the end. And it makes me wonder how many other people within our church family are there. How many of you maybe are feeling the same way? How, how many people within your workplace, within your community, are thinking the same thing? Right? This world would be better without me. It's real. Which is why I want to give us a couple of responses this morning. Because I believe that as a church and as individual Christians, it is so important that we minister effectively in such critical ways areas in such critical times. And I would want to say to you this morning, whether you're watching online today or whether you're in this room, if you are contemplating suicide or these thoughts come into your mind anytime at all, or if you know of someone out there that's going through this, I want to leave you with a few insights that might help us all today. First of all, if you are that person that is at that moment of despair, and you are feeling like life is not worth living, or if you feel like you're at a place where there's no way out, what I want you to do is this. I do not want you to be afraid to call someone for help. Please call someone for help. Don't let pride get in the way. I believe much of what Satan, Satan's power that, that is working right now to convince those who feel unloved or hopeless, I believe Satan's power is found in his ability to keep them isolated and removed from those people that can lift them up. That's why we're here. We are here as a church to help people that are that are down, right? We're here to lift them up, to bring some hope, to bring life to them, to bring hope into darkness. And for those of you that maybe are at the end, do not feel like you need to take this journey alone, because you don't. That's why the church is here. Give us a call. Call someone, please. And second, I don't want this to sound just like a, preacher answer today or something that you might expect to come from the church but you must you must absolutely believe in Jesus Christ and his ability to give you new hope and to give your life meaning right his life indwells you his life indwells you The giver of life, the creator of life, the God who sustains life, the God who provides eternal life, his life indwells you and his resources, all the resources are available within you for your most desperate moments. If I did not believe that, I would quit my job today. But I believe that. I believe that. I've seen that. I've seen lives changed by the power of the gospel. Had one lady come to the altar at the last service, and she said, I'm here just to give God thanks because just several months ago, I was planning to do this. She chose not to, and she's here as a testimony of God's goodness and the power that's available to every one of us to keep living. Now, maybe you're not here today. Maybe you're not contemplating suicide, but maybe you know someone that is. You're not struggling with the issue, but you have a friend, you have a family member, seems to have given up. A couple things that you can do just to help that person. Number one, is just kind of recognize the clues. Just kind of recognize the clues. Look for symptoms such as depression, signs of hopelessness, and so on. I mean, be aware of the threats that they're making. If they're saying things like, man, it would just be better if I weren't here. Or, you know, maybe they're making these plans, obviously, to do something. I have nothing to live for. Be aware of those signs and do something about it. Yes, I have a responsibility to act on what I've learned this week. And so do you if you hear someone who's contemplating uh, this as well. But, man, there's so much hope out there. There's so much hope in this world of darkness, so much hope for these individuals. And we are the hope dealers. We're the hope dealers. We know where it lies. We've been through this before. You know, we've we've had hopelessness. We've had hopeless places in our lives and we discovered where the hope lies. We get to share that with others. Tell somebody else about it. Listen, don't, don't be afraid to break a confidence. If someone tells you that they are planning to end their lives, don't keep quiet about that. Break the confidence, let their spouse know, let their family know, let someone know that can intervene in their lives. Just don't let it go. Perhaps stay with that person, listen to them, encourage them just by listening and talk to them, urge professional help perhaps if if necessary. All of these are kind of common sense things that we we know to do, but we need to do it. We're the church and we have the hope. Uh, uh, in this dark world. Let me kind of wrap this up this morning by just quoting uh, you from uh, Lewis Smedes. He's a professor of ethics and theology at Fuller Seminary. And he was asked this very question about suicide in the, and he answered in the July 2000 issue of Christianity Today. And here's what he said. He says, I believe that as Christians, we should worry less about whether Christians who have died by suicide go to heaven and we should worry more about how, to, how we can help people like them find hope and joy in living. Our most urgent problem is not the morality of suicide, but the spiritual and the mental despair that drags people down to it. Loved ones who have died at their own hands, we can safely trust to our gracious God. But loved ones whose spirits are even now slipping so silently toward death, these are our burdens. And church, this is why we're here. You're here on this earth to make a difference. We're here to bring life, to bring hope, uh, to bring healing. It is true that God desires for us to have life and to have it abundantly. And as painful as your experience are in the days of this earth, we serve a God who is able to help you overcome those feelings and experience a deeper meaning of his love. The pain of suicide runs deep. For those who have contemplated it, those who have attempted it, to the surviving family members of those who have succeeded in it, the pain of suicide runs deep. We're not going to discount that for a moment. Many of you in this room have experienced its darkness. You have. And in those times of sadness and despair, it's absolutely critical that we allow God to carry the burdens we bear. It's only through God's amazing grace that the sorrow that we experience can be turned into joy. And I want to remind you today that the power of the cross or the cross has that power to bring the hope and healing that is so necessary. Here's how we're going to close our service this morning. We've done this and the others. The Lord just kind of redirected this Kind of last night and just became this powerful thing for us. We're gonna close the service with an invitation. And the invitation is for you to come to the altar. You know what happens at an altar, don't you? Something dies there. Something dies. Something is sacrificed. I want to invite you to bring to the altar your despair your hopelessness, your depression, your addictions, your your thinking that life is not worth living anymore, come and sacrifice that. Kill that this morning and exchange that for the life that Jesus Christ offers and wants to give you. Lay it down. Perhaps you want to come for someone else. Someone else that you know is going through a depression moment right now someone else, maybe in your family, in your sphere of influence that is at the end, they're at the end of their rope. They don't know where to turn anymore. Maybe you want to come and pray for them. Bring it to the altar. Let it die here. For those of you in the room that are going through the pain right now of having someone close to you, choose death by suicide. And I know, I know they're all over this room today. You're living with that pain. I had someone last night tell me, they had a close friend who commits suicide about three years ago, and he has not slept a good night since. Listen, there are these things that stay with us. Uh, uh, some parents in the last service came to me and said their son committed suicide or, or died by suicide about a year ago. And they said, can you please pray over us? Because there's not a single day that goes by where we don't experience and live the pain of this. And even ask the questions, what could have we done? What should have we done differently? And I know there's some in this room that are experiencing that very same thing. And I just wanna give you an invitation today to just bring that to the Lord this morning. Just lay that down before the Lord. Listen, the pain may not go away. In fact, I'm not sure that the pain of suicide will ever go away. For those of you who have experienced it and walked through that valley with a loved one, it may never go away. But I'll tell you, you need to let the Lord carry those burdens and and bring you to a place where you're at a place of healing, able to help others who are taking that same journey. So I want to give you this invitation this morning to come. Just come to the altar. I will come and pray with you as it has been in the last two services, I will need help. Uh, for others, other prayer counselors, other pastors, leaders, if you know how to pray for someone, just come and pray with them. If you see them come, I may not be able to pray with everyone, but we're going to pray with you. Every single person that comes to the altar, we want to pray with you today. want to pray hope and healing over your life. We want to pray that God would just take the death and exchange it into life. Can we do that? The song is called, Come to the Altar. Come to the altar. It's exactly what it is. And as you come, as you come, we're going to pray. We're going to pray. We're going to watch God just lift some heaviness from this place this morning. Amen. Man, let me pray for us. God, right now in this room, at this very moment, I pray, oh God, that your spirit would just visit us in such a way that lives would be changed. We already sang about that earlier this morning, but right now I'm gonna pray that back to you. I pray that if there's someone in this room today that is believing that life is not worth living, that they could exchange that lie today for the truth that it is in Jesus Christ. I pray today that there might be some pain that will be taken away from those who are suffering from this pain of of suicide attempts, perhaps, or loved ones. I pray for the online audience out there today. And wherever we are, God, my prayer would be that this would be a moment of healing for all of us as we just come to the altar. Father, help us to lay down our pride this morning and just come finding that new life in you. I pray this in Jesus name. Amen. Listen, no one's going to know why you're coming today. Whether you're coming for yourself or for someone else, I just invite you to come. We're gonna pray this. We're gonna pray over you today. Would you come? Let me stand together as we sing.